right, Matthew chapter 1. And today I want to look at the simple thought of uh, God has a plan. And uh, was looking at different the different Christmas passages in the Bible. And uh, I've wanted to do something new today, not something I've preached before, as most of my Christmas stuff that I've done, I've done before. And so wanted to, to do something new today. And I uh, was looking at some different thoughts. Almost went to Matthew 2, which is what James did his Sunday school lesson on, so I'm glad I didn't do that. And, uh, um, but nonetheless, Matthew chapter 1. Let's start reading in verse number 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him uh, in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not, and to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus, and for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, uh, which is being interpreted, or which being interpreted is, God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and called his name Jesus. The focus... Um, and the launching point for today, we're going to look at a lot of verses today, um, but is in verse 22 when it says, Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet. God has a plan. It's important for us to remember in life that things don't happen without God's, uh, not only without His knowing, but without His planning. And uh, I think the Christmas story reminds us just of that, that God does have a plan. So I want to look at three thoughts this morning about three different plans that God has, um, and, uh, and hopefully it'll be a blessing to us this morning. Lord, help us as we look into these thoughts, and uh, Lord, as we look at the plan that you had for this child, the plan that you had for a Savior, the plan you have for us, Lord, I pray that today it would be, although the, the thoughts that we're looking at are not new, Lord, I pray that today it would be fresh to us, I pray that we would be challenged to, to live for you more and encouraged as well in knowing that we serve a God that has a plan. I pray that you'd help me to present all of this clearly and correctly, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we see here in this passage, as we are reminded in verse 22, that everything that was done from Mary to Joseph to the place of his birth to the, all that went on in the, the story of the birth of Christ it was all planned out. This was not something that just happened. It's not something that just, um, that just happened to take place for this person and for this place and, and for this time frame. None of that uh, was random. All of it was planned. We talk about the coming again of Christ as we should. And as we talk about it, uh, I always say, and most preachers do, although there are some um, uh, insane preachers, but that, that most, if they're biblical, will tell you, I have no idea when the Lord is coming back. But God does. It, it, it is planned already. It's not like God is sitting there going, should I do it now? Should I do it next year? Should I do it next decade? When should I come back? No, it's already planned. It's already taken care of. Uh, there. But for us, we don't necessarily know the plan. We just know that 
God will return and what will happen when He returns and, and what will happen after He returns. But uh, when He returns, we do not know. And the same is true with the coming of Christ, is it was not something that was random, but it was part of God's plan. And we see this in the Old Testament, a plan for this birth of Christ. Uh, if you want to turn there, uh, let's go to Isaiah chapter 7. Uh, this whole point is purely Scripture, looking at the plan that Christ had. And uh, I'm going to use my electronic Bible for this, because we're going to be looking at so many uh, different passages on here. But uh, nonetheless, if you want to sword drill along with me, you can. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, and the Bible says, Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name... Emmanuel. Wasn't that what we just read in verse 23 of Matthew 1? Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And so you see, this was part of God's plan all along. Uh, a couple pages over, Isaiah 11 um, and verse 4, uh, no, verse 1. Isaiah 11, verse number 1. The Bible says, There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. So if you look back in Matthew 1, you don't have to right now, but in Matthew 1 gives you the uh, genealogy, so to say, of Christ, uh, all that came before him and the line of Christ and where it all came from. And uh, you know it starts back with, uh, in verse 1 of Matthew 1, it says, uh, this is the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Then it starts at Abraham and says, begot Isaac. And it goes through all these fathers who begot sons and all the way through. And part of that is Jesse, uh, which of course is David's father. And again, this was part of the plan. The lineage, so to say, of Christ was part of the plan that God had to bring forth his son uh, into the world, uh, Jesus Christ. Numbers 24 shows us the plan as well. Numbers 24 and verse number uh, 17. Numbers 24 and verse 17 says, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy the children of Sheth. Uh, the star out of Jacob, again, following the lineage through, you see uh, this coming uh, to fruition. This is part of the plan. In uh, Jeremiah 23, we see it as well. Uh, Jeremiah 23 and verse number 5 and 6, the Bible says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely, and this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Again, using the, the example of the branch, uh, the word phrasing of the branch, and out of David uh, coming this branch. This is, God had a plan. This was put into place by God years before it ever happened. This is not new to God. This was not random to God. In 2 Samuel 7, we see it as well in verses 12 and 13. And the Bible says here, And when thy days uh, be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He's talking to David. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. 
and we look at what's going on and we think of David wanting to build the temple and, and uh, Solomon eventually did. And so you can look at the, the literal part there as far as what was about to come and, and Solomon would build a house uh, for my name, but it's a prophetic statement looking ahead as well to what was coming out of David's seed, out of David's lineage came Jesus Christ. This was not new. Uh, this was not unplanned. This was very much so planned. And then in Micah 5 and verse number 2, the Bible says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, uh, that is, to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from old and from everlasting. The place, the person, the time, the events that surrounded it, it was all part of God's plan. This is going to help us when we look at the last point today. But we have to remember that for God, things are not uh, circumstantial. Things are not random. Things are planned out. God knew exactly how He wanted things to go when it came to the when everything, but we're talking about the birth of Christ. And it all happened for a reason, and it all happened on purpose, and we read in the Old Testament how it was planned out for it to happen that way. So he had a plan for the birth of Christ. Number two, God had a plan for a Savior. Uh, in Matthew chapter 1, we read, but in verse number 21, it says, uh, And she, Mary, shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So God had a plan not only for the birth of Christ, but for Christ to be the Savior of the world. He tells uh, Joseph that, he tells Mary that, he tells us that. And in John chapter 1, we'll look at a, a number of passages in John for this. So if you want to come there, you can. They'll all be relatively close together. John chapter 1, we see this, uh, this reminder and this, this uh, uh, telling to us. John chapter 1 and verse 14. It says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, the Word was made flesh. God was made flesh. Truth was made flesh. Salvation was made flesh uh, by Jesus Christ. In John chapter 3, uh, John chapter 3, verse 16, obviously we all read and, and memorize, and most children learn this verse early on in their church experience. But John chapter 3, verse 16 says, For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever should believeth on Him, or in Him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17 says, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Again, we look at Matthew 1 and the, the text where Jesus tells Joseph that uh, not only will his name be Jesus, but he shall save his people from their sins. When Jesus came the first time, in his birth, it was not for judgment. It was not for condemnation. It was not for even hellfire and brimstone. It was to save uh, his people from their sins. And in John 3, the Bible tells us that God sent Jesus not to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He was here for a purpose. It was planned out. Jesus was going to come to earth. He was going to live a life on this earth. And He was going to die on this earth for the purpose of making the payment for our sins. And that was part of 
God's plan. And we see that uh, all throughout the Gospels in Jesus' life and then obviously thereafter. But you, in John 4, we won't read the passage, but in John 4 we see uh, Christ with the woman at the well. So in John 3, God says, I sent my son to save the world. Whosoever believeth in him should be saved. Uh, then uh, I said, I'm not to condemn the world, but to save the world, uh, that the world through him might be saved. The very next chapter, we see Jesus sitting at the well with a, with a wicked woman. Most of the people that you see God with, if not all of the people you see God with, have a, a dirty background. You look at his disciples. And them, you know, I could be wrong. We don't know everything about the disciples. We know enough about them. We know they were sinners, obviously. We know that one of them was a tax collector, and tax collectors do not have a, a reputation for being very good. Uh, you think about fishermen. I don't know if you know any fishermen. Uh, most of the fishermen I know like to drink. Uh, some of them have some language issues and uh, things like that as well. I would assume, and this is just assumption, I would assume that, that the fishermen back in Jesus' time probably weren't the most um, well-mannered men in the town, um, more than likely. Uh, we know Judas was a thief. Uh, we know that Judas was um, lost. We know that Judas was obviously wicked. And so we see just the people he was around with every day had backgrounds. Uh, the woman at the well, obviously she had a, an ill reputation um, as Jesus confronts her about that there at the well. Uh, in uh, John chapter 8, there's a woman caught in adultery that Jesus um, speaks with and helps. Um, and all throughout the Bible, we see wicked people and we understand that that's who Jesus came for. Jesus didn't come for the righteous. That's because there, no, there were no righteous. But Jesus didn't come for the righteous. The Pharisees... Um, were so religious and so good, supposedly, in their action, yet were lost as lost can be. There was a great pride. Pride is wicked. There was uh, great um, uh, uh, works replacing a heart, uh, replacing motive. And uh, we just see that in them as well. Jesus came for the wicked. And God had a plan for it from the beginning of time. From the beginning, He created Adam and, and eventually Eve. God had a plan to pay the price for the sins that they committed and the sins that I committed and the sins that you commit. And we see that uh, uh, throughout Scripture. We have to remember, not only did God have a plan for the birth of Jesus, but He had a plan for a Savior. Uh, he, he gave an an opportunity because he knew we were going to sin. He knew when he created Adam, Adam was going to sin. He knew when he created Eve that she was going to sin. He knew that when he created me, I was going to sin. And it's a, one of the great things about God is that he gives us a choice. He does not make us do anything. He says, this is what you should do. If you want to follow me, this is how you should live. If you want to uh, um, go to heaven, this is how you can. And God had a plan all along for the gospel, for a Savior to come. It's a wonderful thing. Number three, and most importantly to us today, the, at least the group in this building, is that God has a plan for you. We, 
we would all agree that God had a plan for the birth of Christ. We read about it in the Old Testament. We would all agree that Christ had a plan for the Savior because we read about it as early as Genesis. Um, and now, though, we come to this point where we say, well, God has a plan for me. And I think we would all say, yes, that's true. God has a plan for me. But do we live our life daily knowing God has a plan for me? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. Uh, we'll look at three passages and then we'll be done uh, this morning. God has a plan for you and we see it in these three passages. Matthew chapter 8, look with me in verse number 18. Now when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart unto the other side. And, certain scribe and, uh, uh, and a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus saith unto him, The foxes have holes. And the birds have, of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. And another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said unto him, Follow me, and let the dead bury their dead. We are Christians um, as a whole in this room today. And as a Christian, God has told us, follow me. He's told us a number of things that can come from following him. But he says, follow me. And uh, here to these disciples, he tells uh, these people who are listening to him. And one said, I'll go wherever you go, Lord. Wherever you go, I'm going to be right there with you. And Christ reminded him, I don't have a place that I call home. The, the uh, foxes, they have a hole they go to every night. The birds, they have a nest they go to every night. Me, I travel, and I preach, and I serve. That's what you're going to be doing too if you follow me. And the one responded with, I, I, I'm coming, Lord, just give me a second. I have to go bury my father. And the Lord said, uh, just, just come on, let the dead bury the dead. Now, we could spend a whole sermon on this, this passage and, and describing it, and I think we have before, but um, come back to this. God has a plan for you, and that plan is for you to follow Him. We're going to have excuses to not. We're going to say, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do, and God says, okay, I want you to do this. Um, okay, but first let me build up a savings, and then I can be more effective and, 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 and go and do that. Uh, God says, do this. Okay, well, first, let me, let me get this in order. And then, okay, then I can go and follow you. And, and God consistently throughout our life, and, and I'm, I'm saying this from personal experience, and I, I assume I'm not the only one, where God says, do this, and we say, I will, Lord. And we mean it. I will, Lord, but first... <laughs> and this, in this instant... A man says, Lord, I will follow you. I'll go wherever you want me to go, but I have to go bury my father. And God says, no, follow me. And our minds go, well, that's not very nice. He should be allowed to bury his father. God said, no, follow me. If you're not willing to follow me at this very moment, you will not follow me moving forward. And that's where we fail oftentimes with crisis. We have the, the heart that says, and, and I believe we truly mean it, God, I will do whatever you want me to do. And then when God finally says, okay, do this and do it now, we say, oh, well, Lord, I will do it, but I need, I need to do it on my timing. 
I have something else that is, we wouldn't say this, but I have something else that's more important. That's the way we feel. Um, or we have a lack of faith, and, and, and so we say, I need to first make sure I have something to fall back on. I don't remember, you've probably heard the story, maybe it was Napoleon, um, uh, where they, they pulled up in their ships, and they got off the ships, and they were going to go and, and fight a war, and uh, everybody looked back, and all the ships were on fire, and then the general said, now we, now we only have one, one way to go forward. We can't go back. We have no way to, to turn back. And as Christians, oftentimes we don't burn our ships. We always have a little security blanket somewhere where if the things of God don't work out, we have something to fall back on. That doesn't show any faith whatsoever. God says, follow me. God has a plan for you, and that plan is for you to do what He says all the time. Flip over to Matthew 10. For me, it's just a page over. Matthew 10, and look in verse 17. Now we can look in verse 16. It's part of the paragraph. It says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves, and uh, ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. And ye shall be brought uh, before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought, how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to, put, uh, cause them to be put to death. He's talking about you're going to come across some, some great discouragement, some great enemies, some great backlash. He says, but when you do, trust me for the words to say. When you do, follow me still. And we as Christians have to understand God has a plan for us, and with that plan He has provision for us. And He says, you're not speaking on your wisdom and on your abilities, but you're going to speak what the Spirit of your Father gives you to speak. And when we come across hardships, and I'm telling you, it's going to become more and more and more prevalent, especially within our community right now, with the leadership that we have in our state and with the way that our country is going, when we speak the ways of God, it's not going to be easy. It's only going to get harder. But when it does, don't speak your opinion. Speak God's Word. Well, make sure your message is biblical and not conservative in thought or Republican in thought or Democratic in thought or uh, politically motivated. Just speak God's Word. I'm convinced that in the last couple of years since our, our president was elected, Christians have done more to hurt their testimony, to hurt their, not their testimony, but to hurt their ability to share the gospel with people because they had to share their political view. I'm convinced of it. I've been watching even more recently during the impeachment stuff where I've watched where Christians are so adamant to defend their president. And we're, we should support when we're able to our elected officials. But they're so adamant that they have to make sure everyone knows where I stand with my president, where I'm telling you their neighbors go, I don't want to hear anything you have to say. Where I'm telling you they have coworkers who don't want to hear anything they have to say. 
I'm not saying that you have to be in shame about who you support politically. Maybe you do. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm not saying that you're not allowed to share your political views. But think about, if I share my political views with this person, will I ever be able to share the gospel in a manner in which they will listen? And it's not that you're, you're, the way that you're sharing your political views is wrong necessarily. It's just you have to understand, if I want to share the gospel with these people, and they are so disgusted, whether right or wrong, by this person, and I try to defend this human that I'm not related to, that at the end of the day, who really cares? If I share my opinion about this person, this coworker of mine that I spend every day with or five days a week with or whatever, they'll never listen to me present the gospel. Be prayerful about your support of public officials. Again, I'm all for supporting good people. I'm all for when it's voting time, we, we stand up and we let our voices be heard, especially when there's such important matters at hand like abortion and things like that. Um, think about, you know, we're trying to create a community in which our kids can be raised in and not be exposed to some of the great wickedness that is out there right now. So it's important that we vote and that we vote for those people who will help uh, uh, establish morals in our community. But understand, at the end of the day, it's more important that your coworkers know that you stand for God than that you stand for a candidate. And understand and know what your support of a candidate, your public support of a candidate will do, because it's more important that we can get the gospel out. At the end of the day, God knows who's going to be elected, and God's going to allow them to be elected. And we have to know that I can stand here on a soapbox for a wicked person, because they all are, we all are, every single one of us. I can stand on a soapbox for a wicked person, or I can stand on a soapbox for God, and I can present the gospel, and I can do it in a loving, kind manner, and I can build relationships with my coworkers and sometimes family members that have differing views and things like that. God has a plan for you, and it's not, it's not to die on a, on a soapbox for a presidential candidate. It is to present God's Word and speak the things of God. Last passage, Romans chapter 6. Romans 6, look in verse number 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into His death? Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk and newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall, also, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. God has a plan for you, and it is to not sin. <laughs> Easier said than done, right? Um, but God says, in our salvation, we died to sin as Christ died for us because of our sin. And as we show it in baptism, when we were raised, we were raised victorious just as Christ 
raised victoriously over death and over sin. So why then are we still living in sin? Verse 2 again, How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? The old, the old man, the old flesh, was a, was a flesh of sin. We have died to sin, so why are we still living in sin? Shouldn't we not be any more doing that? Shouldn't our lives be different? I believe that many Christians today fail in holiness. They fail to live their life in a way that God wants them to live. They, they get saved and they, they rejoice in that, as we should, but then there is a failure to grow and to continue now to live a life that God intends us to live. God says that, that I don't want to be careful with this, but God says it, when we're saved, there's going to be a change in our life. We're not going to continue to live in the same uh, sinful way that we did before because God has given us now uh, a new life. God has given us new motives uh, in, in doing so. In verse number 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Now we should be serving Christ. God has a plan for you, and it's to live a holy life. It's to live a life that is not filled with sin. <coughs> a life that understands that when we do wrong, oh, that was wrong. I should not have done that. Lord, forgive me. We see that it is important that we live a life that God intends for us to live. God has a plan for your life, and it is not to be one that is uh, uh, wrecked with sin. Christ didn't die on the cross so that you could claim to have faith in His saving grace and then go on living the same way you did before. Christ died so that you can die daily to that old flesh, to that sinful way, to that sinful desire and now that you have been resurrected, so to say, you have done so so that you can now live a life of victory. It's not to say that we will not sin, and that's not an excuse to sin, by the way. It's not to say that we will not sin. It is to say that we should not sin. And we have no excuse to sin anymore. And we ought to be living a life that is, uh, that is no longer filled with sin. As verse 1 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? God forbid. God has a plan for you. And it is a plan that you should live righteously for Him so that you can be a lighthouse to the people around you, so that you can stand out, so that you can be different, so that you can be peculiar, as the Bible says, not weird, but different. You might look weird in some ways to other people. It might be weird that you don't drink. It might be weird that you don't cuss. It might be weird that you don't uh, involve yourself in some of the things they do in their eyes, you might be weird, but you ought to be different. And that's God's plan for you. For how can you show your faith if you don't have works? The Bible talks about that. How can you be a lighthouse on a hill if your life is filled with darkness? You can't. That's the answer. <laughs> You can't. God has a plan for you. He had a plan for the birth of Christ. He had a plan for a Savior. And He has a plan for you. Rest in knowing that His plan is perfect. Rest in knowing that, okay, God's plan for me is to live a life that is right, that is righteous, that is holy, that is pure. And if I do that, God's plan for me will be perfect. And I must follow that plan. 
it's hard. I, I've learned, and I never thought as a kid it would be hard for an adult, but it is just as hard for an adult to do right when they're around bad people. As a kid, your parents always told you, hopefully they did, that person's bad. Don't hang out with them. Don't do those things. Hopefully you learn in your home and in your church what's right and what's wrong, and you knew I shouldn't be around that. Yet as an adult, we, we make so many excuses for why it's okay. And I have learned so many professed Christians today are refusing to be holy, to be righteous, to follow God's plan because they feel like, oh, it can hinder my, my testimony. I, I, I need to be good friends with these people so that I can share the gospel with them. Well, God says the gospel will be ineffective through you if you're living just like they are. You're supposed to be living as Christ lived, holy and perfect. You shouldn't be living in sin anymore. If you want your, when you present the gospel to be effective, it has to start with your life. Living the gospel. Living God's plan for your life. Don't listen to a person who will tell you, because you're a Christian, you should be hanging around with these people and going to these places because then you can have a better testimony and you can be more effective. God says, flee from fornication. God says, if a sinner entice you, consent thou not. God says, be ye holy as I am holy. God says, I have a plan for you, and it is not sinful living, or the appearance of sinful living even. It is doing right. It is living a life that is different. It is living a life that is godly. That's God's plan for you. So focus on that as we come into the new year and Christmas, and, uh, and understand and take uh, confidence in the fact that God's plan is perfect, so do God's plan. He had a plan for the birth of Christ. He had a plan for the Savior, and He has a plan for you. Allow God's plan uh, to be what um, you live your life by. Lord, help us, I pray, to be godly. Help us, I pray, to be different. Help us to stand out in a world of sin, that we do stand out as someone who loves God and follows God. And I pray that you would help us to um, better um, secure ourselves with your help, uh, to help us against temptation. Uh, Lord, help us to have great wisdom with our lost friends, co-workers, and family members um, as they know us as well as anybody. And uh, maybe they've seen some of our mistakes. And, and uh, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to not shy away now from doing right or now from sharing the gospel because of those things. God, help us to follow your plan for our life that we can, as we've seen other plans that you've put into place work out perfectly. Lord, may we understand that your plan for our life will be just the same if we'll follow it. So help us, I do pray, um, to, to live the way you want us to live. And I pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.